This episode of the Grown Up Girls Report is brought to you by McAfee, the world's leading cybersecurity company. Now, McAfee is all about making our lives as digital parents a whole lot easier with their suite of super duper protection software for all our devices. Yes, even our smartphones. Simply visit McAfee.com and get the lowdown. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grown Up Girls Report podcast. Thank you all so much for taking the time to listen in today. And I know you're going to be very grateful you have because we're going to be workshopping something which, if you're a parent of a teenager, will be very much on your mind. We are going to be talking about life after the HSC. Yes, it does exist. Now, the HSC, as we call it in New South Wales, or the VCE in Victoria, or the QC in Queensland, it's a huge delineator for teens, for Aussie teens, because it symbolizes the end of 13 years of schooling. And it's the culmination of a few years of very intense, well, in theory, study and effort. But it really is also such an important stepping stone to adulthood. Now, for many kids and families, there is so much focus in the lead up to these exams. We've got trials, we've got assessments, but there isn't really a lot of time to think about what happens after the HSE. What's life going to look like? So I thought we're going to workshop this today with an expert, an expert who is a parent, but has also got a fabulous background in psychology. So the logical person for the role is a new friend for the Grown Up Girls Report, the lovely Sarah Wainwright. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Thank you, Alex, for having me. Oh, it's so lovely to have you. Now, Sarah is a parenting expert. And for those of you who are on Instagram, you may know Sarah from her fabulous Instagram account, Parenting Tips, which I love, Sarah. Thank you very much. And I think I've described it to you before as a bit like a daily dose of parenting multivitamins because you do these wonderful little updates and snippets and, you know, and also I like the fact you actually go into a bit of psychological theory and it keeps me grounded and it keeps me on track. So I know I am very grateful for all that you do. Oh, that's, that's a pleasure. Thank you for the feedback. I, I do enjoy writing it very much and I hope to get good information out there. Yep. No, you absolutely do that. So before we get into our chat about, you know, life after the HSC, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. Thank you. So like you, I'm a mother of four and my children um, range in age from 19 down to seven. At the moment, I've got three teenagers at home. Mm-hmm. Um, one who's left school, she's 19. Um, she's in first year uni. And then I've got a, a son. So I've got three girls and one boy, a son who's um, just started year 12. And then another one in another daughter in year seven. And then our little baby of the family in year one. That is such a spectrum. It's fabulous. Well, essentially, I'm a writer contributor with the Sydney Observer magazine, and I write on various topics, most of which have got um, a parenting that are parenting oriented. And as you mentioned before, they've got um, a psychological background that's or underpinning. That's my background. And I, I write on a variety of, top, of topics, which might include social media or positive psychology. Um, I'm writing about um, fatigue at the moment. So there'll, there'll be um, various issues that, that I'll be, that I cover um, with Sydney Observer. 
and you can find those those copies in um in your favorite stores up and down Sydney's North Shore and online. Fantastic, fantastic! No, I love it. I love it. Now, now you did mention you have you've got one daughter who's actually who is actually over that HSC line. So you've been through this journey once yourself, Sarah. But you, yes, you know, lucky you. You have still have three to go, my friend. But um, I am lucky enough to have had three down and one to go. So between Sarah and I, we have done this four times. So we've got a few different experiences that we can weave in today, which we hope are going to help. So, so in most states, the final exams, Sarah, they're basically you know done and dusted except for a few a few sort of late stragglers or unfortunate ones that have those those less popular subjects and my approach in my household which I'm sure is similar to you is very much that the ATAR does not matter. It does not define you. This is merely one chapter in your life. And mm. I, I really, my, my goal has been with all my three is just to minimize the pressure, minimize the pressure, because I do think that's when they perform best, to be honest. Mm. I mean, I want them to put in the best effort they can, but I don't want them to feel any additional un- unnecessary pressure for me. But I suppose, you know, for, for a lot of kids, the pressure just doesn't come from the families. A lot of pressure comes from within themselves and I suppose from the school and their peers. So even if we yeah. try and keep it calm, they can still feel very, very overwhelmed. They can feel like there's a lot of pressure on their shoulders. Yes, that, that's right. And it is the culmination of 13 years of schooling. And even I'm, I'm hearing my, my year seven daughter, actually the teachers are trying to tone down the pressure at her school and saying, look, you're only in year seven, you've got a very long way to go. And I, th- I think that one of the dangers is, is that actually by the time they reach year 12 and year 12 itself is, I mean, that's a year's worth, that's a year which has started already the previous year, they can actually be burned out before they've actually even literally got to the finish line. And and I, I have seen that happen with with kids, mm-hmm. especially sort of high performers who have absolutely exhausted themselves uh, through their whole high school career. So I think that that would be something that for parents to, to just keep a very close eye on is how exhausted and burned out their children are becoming as the pressure is inc- increasing towards the HSC. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. And I know my, my, my son, who's about to go into year 12, uh, sort of made the point to me somewhat humorously that, you know, he didn't want to peak too soon and he's really just going to start trying this year, which really on, on one level made me get very cranky. But I suppose if we're being a little bit philosophical, mm. um, you know, it's probably not, not, not necessarily such a bad thing to sort of, you know, take it in natural yeah. steps and, and not get burnt out. So he assures me the best is yet mm. to come, Sarah. So I'm very, very excited about that. <laughs> We'll see how that goes. Feeling hopeful. <laughs> yeah, feeling hopeful. But as I said, look, I, I am not outcome focused at all. But, but, but this, this yes. cohort of year 12 kids, I mean, the poor things, they've had COVID, which has not been at all mm. helpful. And I mm. know, you know, we all, we all say, yes, these kids will be the most resilient ever. And because they've pivoted and they've developed the ability to be flexible, but it has added a whole additional layer of stress and and unforeseen unforeseen stress and of course they've missed out on those those a lot of those end of year functions and mm-hmm. rites of passage. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously been some disappointment, Sarah, amongst this cohort. Yes, yes, there has indeed, and it's hard for them to keep to keep their spirits up when they have they have missed out and they've missed out on seeing their friends and as we as we know it's terribly important to maintain that face-to-face contact i i never like to demonize social media i think it's got a great place and it has a huge amount of value in our lives and in the lives of our young people but they do also need to see each other face to face and they lost a big chunk of that in the middle of the year when they could have looked 
looked to each other for additional support. So I think as you've introducing this idea, for, for some of the kids, they've, they've already kind of struggled and, you know, we're hearing that term resilience a lot. But for a lot of them, the important thing is actually to celebrate getting to the finish line because they, they literally have made it all the way to the very end. And I think that that's something that's very worthwhile to celebrate having got haven't gotten to the finish. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I and I know um, we've chatted before you and I about the importance of rituals within a family. So obviously, mm. you know, when your child finishes the HSC, it's it's often nice within the family to you know, if it's your first one, to maybe think about what sort of ritual perhaps you could do with your child or, or, or start or, or set up in your family to commemorate such a special mm. event. Did you do anything in particular with your daughter when she got over the line? I couldn't agree more. Rituals are very important and it does, it's an important marker of a, of a milestone or um, an achievement. Um, I think it's probably very much down to um, sort of individual difference. So actually our eldest, she's quite introverted. So sort of schoolies or big parties, it really wasn't her scene. So we just, we just celebrated more intimately as a family. We went out to dinner and, you know, we all toasted her, so to speak, and enjoyed reminiscing about her happy and memorable times at school. Yeah, perfect, perfect. No, I think that's that's mm. really good. That's really good. That's really good. In in my uh, little little tribe with my boys, my mm. husband has um, taken it upon himself to instigate this 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 father bonding trip that is going to occur for for all the boys once they finish school. So when my eldest son finished school, mm. he took uh, him to Mount Kilimanjaro, which unfortunately mm. they didn't actually get to the top because he got terribly um, terribly unwell with altitude sickness, but oh. didn't. It was the trip of a lifetime, really, and you know, so many funny stories. You know, have, have, have now become part of our family dialogue as a result of it. So, so he did that with the first one, and with the second one, he went with um, my son and um, some other dads and sons, and they went and did the Milford Track in New Zealand. So, taking them somewhere of an adventurous nature seems to be what we do. What we do are going to be doing here to sort of commemorate it, I suppose. And then with my third son, they were planning on going somewhere this year. He finished school last year, mm. but unfortunately because of COVID that that has gone on ice that plan but but look, it doesn't really matter what it is. It could be it could be giving them a special keyring, going out to a special restaurant, just to make them feel celebrated, I suppose, and special because it is such a huge milestone. It's massive. And for the parents. Yes. <laughs> I think the whole family does the HSC, quite frankly. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I think you're right. Obviously, uh, traditionally, schoolies has been, you know, something that a lot of kids have, uh, have, have you know, used as opposed to mark this, this end of school. But obviously with COVID, things are, are very different because if you're in Victoria, obviously, and then in New South Wales, um, Anastasia Palaszczuk, the Premier of Queensland, has basically, she's keeping those borders closed until the end of November. So schoolies, as we know it in Queensland, is, is, is not is not going to happen. But I know that we were in Byron Bay in, this, in September, I was with my husband, and the security guards outside a couple of venues were like bracing themselves for this onslaught, I think, of, of kids, because I think everyone, a lot of the kids are going to Byron instead of going to, in going to schoolies. So... Um, Schoolies is, is going to be very different this year, I suppose. Um, and I know I was reading during the week that a lot of um, coastal towns in New South Wales and Victoria mm. are welcoming kids and saying, come, please, you can come and stay in our caravan parks and our camping grounds. So um, it is different, but I suppose this is the year of pivoting. 
Well, I mean, I think that's right. And I think we've just got to be a little bit bit more creative and probably rather than going a little further afield, we're sort of, I mean, you know, thinking of sort of perhaps a two or three hour radius outside of Sydney, for instance, and what's on offer, uh, you know, what's on offer with, with that um, radius in mind. And I, I'm also, I did think very much as well about um, the bushfires from last year. We, over Christmas, we were actually um, in the snowies and we, ha- we had to leave early in order to get back to Sydney um, very quickly because the fires were moving across um, the border from Victoria. And I, I think not only with COVID, but also with um, the uncertainty around the bushfires, although with you know, the current weather patterns, we're having a much cooler summer. But in some ways, it's a bit, little bit less anxiety provoking to have the children perhaps, you know, within a slightly closer radius to Sydney or to home, wherever that might be. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Could mm. not agree more. No, I think it's uh, definitely, yeah. definitely a better option. And also such a beautiful boost for those those towns that need money spent in them, let's be honest. Whether it's the Port Macquarie's or the Coffs Harbours, there are so many beautiful places to go that these kids can be safe, they can be not that far away from home, and they can also be supporting local communities, which really, really need a boost. Now, the other thing, Sarah, I really want to talk about is – what life is going to look like after the HSC for those kids who've struggled a bit through school? Because that can often be a different scenario. Mm. You know, there, there are children that, that struggle through school and to actually get to the finishing line is just, I suppose, brings such a sense of relief and they probably don't really think celebrating maybe is what they want to do. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's really interesting. Um, what, from your point of view, Sarah, what do you see mm. children who've struggled through school and marking the end of it? I think again, it's it's pretty much being being satisfied that you that you have made it to the finish line, however that looks. And I think for parents to try and reduce any pressure or expectations that they have on their kids, because if it has been a very tough journey, these children will already be under immense pressure. Um, And so I think it's you know possibly for, for parents as well as the students themselves to be adjusting expectations. And I think that once you have your expectations adjusted, you're, you're, very, you're very much um, less likely to be disappointed. And perhaps also being a little more accepting of, of the reality, of what the reality has been this year and the impact that it has, has had on our young people. I mean, a lot of them don't even know what university, if they're going to go into tertiary education or any other um, form, forms of qual- uh, formal qualifications, what that is actually going to look like next year mm-hmm. in terms of anything that might be face-to-face or if they need to go and live on campus. Um, it's, it's very much an unknown. It's an unknown at, at this point in time. And I think that something else that I'm mindful of with my own writing and my own reading is sort of just living with, with this COVID uncertainty. And if we can kind of help our young people to have some mental preparation that we're not just going to always have the answers like you used to have the answers and that living with this state of uncertainty is is much more the normal way forward now. Yeah, yeah. It's a big adjustment for everybody, isn't it, the uncertainty? It is, and it's very anxiety-provoking. For, for anyone who um, has anxiety, typically they, they spend their time looking forward. So <laughs> when there aren't any answers, um, 
or they're not definitive answers, you might have some ideas. That is very anxiety provoking. So, you know, and another way to manage that would be trying to stay a little bit more in the present and holding on to what you know and what you're familiar with. And you and I have spoken previously about um, having routines and how valuable those are. So that would probably be something else that I would, you know, and I'm sure that you've seen this with your boys as they've finished with this, you know, monumental task of school what does the next few months look like and trying to hold on to some sort of routine and rhythm through the day can help them to get through that might be going to the gym, getting a job. Um, yeah. So I think that would be useful as well. Absolutely. But I can imagine, well, I I know actually firsthand that often there, when you discuss sort of a routine, they're not very receptive to it because I think, oh, we've had 13 years of regimentation back off, mum. What do you know? But there can be flexibility within a routine. So perhaps just creating a list of things to achieve in one day as opposed to giving yourself, Mm. you know, a two hour block for this and a two hour block for that. So there is some Mm. element of flexibility Um, because I found, I know with actually all three of mine that went through it, that initially if there's no routine, you're sleeping all day and you're up all night and it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a disaster just quietly. So they yes. do need to have some structure. Yes. Yes, definitely. And, um, I mean, eventually, well, the summer holidays will end eventually and they're going to have to get back into a new routine, whether it's in the workplace or with some tertiary education um, and, ma- and maintaining um, even you just your toe in the water when it comes to routine will help. And I think that exercise is a really, really great anchor for that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to be anything too formal, but trying to get out each day in the sunshine for a for a short period of time and trying to incorporate some exercise into your day or into your week uh, for our young people is, is also helpful and beneficial. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so let's just talk a little bit about those kids we mentioned before that, you know, have struggled through school. So this mm. time um, when the HSC is finished and you have no routine and no structure, even though there may be a sense of relief for them, it may actually be even harder than school was because some of them may have had some social anxieties and they, they didn't perhaps have a sense of belonging or a lot of social contact. So they've gone from, I suppose, structured social contact nothing and mm. um I, I mean i know firsthand of a lot of teens who've, who've really struggled and their mental health has deteriorated mm. during this period for that very reason because they didn't have that structured social interactions so they're mm. the kids that that, that i suppose I, I worry about the most at this particular time yeah and i think that it it is a time that they are they are quite at risk and they are quite vulnerable especially when they don't have that sort of Uh, forced face-to-face time. And perhaps, you know, we've talked about um, being creative and uh, being innovative this year. And I think that that there is another opportunity for our young people to to look for other opportunities to, to meet people because we, we do know, and the research tells us how important face-to-face contact is. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that can even be, um, volunteering in your local in your local area or or pet sitting or anything like that where you um are part are part of another community so school is a community and there's there's always ways to become part of another community 
where you, where you feel needed, you feel valued, you feel important and you have somewhere to go every few days. Yeah, absolutely. And look, if we just talk tangibly about how you could make that happen, for example, everyone's heard of Seek, you know, where you try and find mm. a job. Well, there is actually a Seek volunteer site and oh. I was only looking at it, you know, recently and there are so many different opportunities. So if, if your child hasn't been able to find a job and let's be honest, finding jobs mm. in this environment is tough. Um, volunteering is a wonderful way of doing it. So there'd be, there's, there are actually quite a lot of really good opportunities. I know the Starlight Foundation have, have opportunities or they did, maybe they've gone up, up there. But the other thing I have seen, Sarah, is um, Sarah and I do live quite close to each other. We do have some very active Facebook pages, but, but often there are opportunities that come up in your local Facebook pages in terms of, you know, different organisations and charities that need help. Um, so there are different ways of finding positive things to do and finding a community, like you say. Yeah, and that's some um, that that is something that is is often in the media and is criticised is our is our loss of community and the loss of a sense of community for ourselves as adults and no doubt as well for our young people. And however, you can go and look for other communities. For instance. Um, in the hospitals with the two, say, major hospitals at the Sydney Adventist Hospital and Hornsby Hospital, which are quite local, which are quite local to me, um, they have large amounts of volunteers up there. Mm. And that is definitely a community up there. And especially if you're, you're in there re- relatively regularly, you will get to know people. Um, so I, th- I think for anyone who is looking, there's opportunities out there. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. And I also know that I'm um, close to where we live again, Sarah, there, the rural fire service is quite a oh, big, yes. quite a big oh. deal. And I've got a lot of friends whose kids go up regularly and uh, mm. volunteer and they've, they've just found, you know, a real home oh. there too. So yeah, there are, there are oh, ways and means of finding people and finding interactions. I know my, my son, one of my sons who's finishing, um, who will come back from university in a couple of weeks. If he is unable to get a job, I will be ensuring that he's volunteering because hanging around the house all day 24-7 is just not a recipe for 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 good outcomes in my opinion. So, mm. yeah, I think mm. it's really powerful. But the other thing a lot of um, kids do, you know, if they're finished school is that they often will consider a gap year at this point in time yes. um, or, or if they haven't thought about it earlier. But, of course, 2020, COVID changed, changed everything. And the research is showing that three-quarters of the Year 12 students who were planning on taking gap years are now not going. And of course we understand mm. why borders are closed. But interestingly, Sarah, I was doing a little bit of a deep dive on this that um, the Australian tourism industry is actually really encouraging students to, again, think outside the square, be a little creative and think about other opportunities, Australia, Australia-based. For example, road trips, you know, mm. adventure packages and even working holidays. And I know you and I were chatting, have chatted before about fruit picking, you know, yes. we haven't got that 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 pipeline of backpackers that we have ordinarily got to come and pick the strawberries and the berries and, and whatever else. So I know, actually, I know a couple of kids who are thinking about going up and, and fruit picking. Mm. Oh, I think it would be incredible. I think it's, I mean, it's lovely to be a tourist in your own city, but I think to be a tourist in your own state is also really, really fantastic. Um, some of the m- major sites around Australia or within our own set within our, our own state, I think many of us haven't actually seen. Mm-hmm. And it's probably, it is a great opportunity to to use this year if that's what they had planned. Well, you can do it within New South Wales. And I think um, I think Northern Territory might be open to, to us yes. as, yeah, as, as well as South Australia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, gosh, there's huge opportunities there. Um, and potentially you can also travel quite cheaply, far more cheaply than a gap year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with a, with an, <laughs> 
Totally right, totally right. And then I actually found this organisation um, that's actually putting together these travel and work packages for Aussie Gap Year students. So it's actually the Australian branch of the American Institute for Foreign Study and they have put together these packages which go from anywhere between four weeks to 12 weeks and they include things like a Queensland cattle muster, a northern New South Wales surf camp um, and eco holiday, eco holiday options in the Great Barrier Reef and the Daintree. So... I mean, how amazing would that be? He's so great. So great. So there are things you can do. There are definitely things you can do. So so Sarah, so so we obviously we need to we need to help our kids find work out a plan for next year. Um, and I and I did also do a little bit of research um, that UAC, which in New South Wales is the the body which you need to apply or register your interest if you want to go to university. I did see that you do have up until the fifth of February to actually lodge your 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 interest in going to university. You will have to pay a little bit more because you'd be a late applicant. So. I suppose if kids haven't thought about what they want to do next year, it's not too late to still think about think about university. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's often even um, final round offers, perhaps for um, places that haven't been filled, and those those final round offers will go all the way up until the end of February, literally until university starts, either the end of February, or the very beginning of March. Mm. Um, so I and. You know, sometimes if you if you haven't got into the university of your choice, you can also say go. Um, you you can basically just take a sideways move at another university, and then you can transfer back across. So I think for children or for young people to not not be too disappointed if they haven't had their first choice, given you know everything that they've they've had to go through this year, and to be sort of open minded and accepting about what other. Um, options may be open to them. And as you and I have discussed as well, that there's, there's a lot of applied courses that you can do that actually give you credit. Um, my daughter's doing medical science at Macquarie and she has, uh, some of, some of the students in her cohort are interested in doing some laboratory work or phlebotomy, learning to take blood, which is all TAFE and certificate courses yep. through the, through the summer, uh, the summer break. And I think they're fascinating courses and will potentially be a pathway into something later on. Absolutely, absolutely, exactly. And the other thing that we just have to give a big plug to is TAFE because TAFE is also such a yes. fabulous option for for anybody that wants to, you know, to develop, I suppose, some more practical skills. I know um, one of my sons has done some great motorsports and mechanical study at TAFE. And, um, and, and what's interesting as well is that if you, for example, are thinking about uni, you didn't get your mark, but there could be something in the same sort of field, like you mentioned before, phlebotomy, if you're doing medical, medical, medical mm. science, is that if you get to a certificate three or a certificate four level at TAFE, most universities have this fancy well, it's actually not even that fancy, a conversion tail, t- table rather. So if you, for example, pass your certificate three, they will actually give that um, an ATAR, which will allow you then to apply for courses at their university with that ATAR. Mm-hmm. I was blown away mm-hmm. when I found that out when I was going down this road with one of my boys. And I just wish that I wish I had known that earlier because there are so many different mm-hmm. ways to get in. Many, many roads lead to lead to Rome, as they say. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. And, and maybe also this year, perhaps, perhaps our young people 
might need a little more help from us. They might need a little bit more of our instrumental support, which is exactly what you did, where you basically, you went around and you knocked on a few more doors. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's something in a really practical sense that we can, we can offer our young people to say, look, I've made a few phone calls. I've gone in, I've gone in and picked up these pamphlets for you. Why don't you just pick one, pick one out of 10 and, and let's make a start there. So I think in a, in a really practical way, and you've, you've already, you know, basically done this and, and helped out one of your, one of your children. It's, it's a really great way. And often um, young people, they actually hate talking to adults. They, um, <laughs> they, they really do. So it, it can, it can help us. We can help them in that way to, to smooth the path a little bit. Exactly. And help them set some goals, I suppose, around that or, you know, mm. get a, put a plan in place. So, so no, I think that's excellent. So the other thing, Sarah, is obviously, we're, you know, we need to help them get a plan, fill their time, get a routine. But I think we probably also need to be aware that life after the HSC can often be a time when kids like to get involved or put their toe in the water for a bit of risky behavior. So what do you see from your perspective with your psychology hat on? Yeah, it's, it's unavoidable, quite frankly. (laughs) It's, it's unavoidable. And I think again, parents, as long as we have realistic expectations, we're not going to be too shocked or too disappointed or, or too terrified ourselves. So you know, the research shows us that around this adolescent age, 16 to 18 and onwards, and especially as they're um, getting their driver's license and they're turning 18, they will be experimenting with uh, sex, drugs and alcohol. And I think the most important thing is basically that the lines of communication between um, parent and young person stays open. That, That would be my strongest encouragement to parents because as soon as the as soon as the communication lines close and children feel as though they can't come can't come home to tell mum and dad what went wrong, they they're potentially at great risk. And as parents, that that's the thing we always need to look at is is harm minimization and mitigating any risk to that young person. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you have a great idea you and I were chatting about, we had a cup of tea earlier, about how you in your family have a strategy whereby you, you know, you're realistic about the fact that these things are going to probably happen and risks are going to be taken, but you highly encourage and also make it almost mandatory that they have a, have some with them if they're going to be, you know, if they're going to be drinking, for example, if they're going out and they're going to have a big night, just don't do it by yourself. Take a trust and have a wingman or a wingwoman with you. Yes, absolutely. And we've, and I, and I know that, I mean, I'm, I don't intrude on my eldest social life, um, but, and I trust her choice in friends and I'm, I am given a great amount of um, comfort and confidence that if something untoward happens to her, I know that her friends are looking out for her. And, and you may, you may or may not have, have met these people, but at, at some point we do have to trust our our teenagers and believe that we've done a good enough job raising them and that they're going to make good choices. Sure, they're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes, but essentially they're going to make good choices with, with who they're hanging out with and that there'll be somebody there to also, as they will look, look out for their friends, their friends will also look out for them. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything else we can do, Sarah, to help them navigate this sort of risky time in their lives? One thing that I, I have also found helpful is if they're going to go away for the weekend or, you know, perhaps going a bit further afield that 
some telephone numbers or contacts are exchanged. So if you know, we can't get a hold of our children, then we can try and get a hold of one or two of their friends. And likewise, that their friends can get a hold of us if something has happened to our young person. It, it just builds build a little bit of a wall of safety. It doesn't mean that we're stalking them or we're tracking them or we're intruding on their lives, but it does just mean that if there's an emergency, if there's a crisis, there's somebody else that we can contact. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fantastic. And uh, look, just firsthand, I can tell you that uh, we had a party for one of my boys and it was a, it was quite a large, uh, rowdy, uh, high energy gathering. It was a 17th birthday party. And because it was raining and so we chose to have it at the last minute in a community hall in the middle of a big park. And, um, and there was probably 80 or 100 kids there. And we had five security guards. We had bags checks obviously there was no alcohol provided and unfortunately one girl got became it became very obvious she was incredibly drunk not long after the party had started actually it was actually quite a terrifying situation uh she was out cold we had to call the ambulance but what actually was just so helpful from my point of view as the as the mother of the you know the, the party mother I suppose was that she had a couple of really good girlfriends with her who had the number for her mother so I was instantly able to ring her mother, let her know what had happened. The mother was, of course, very stressed and upset. That's all very normal. Um, but I could stay in touch with the mother. I could tell the mother I'd order the ambulance. Uh, she quickly came to the party. She got there not long after the ambulance arrived, actually. And it was able to be managed so much more easily than had she not had some wind, you know, some some good girlfriends with her. And also, if no, if, if those if those girlfriends didn't have her mother's number, so they obviously had already had that arrangement set up. Which, from my point of view, was so helpful. I was so grateful because it was it was quite harrowing. This this girl and what and what had happened was um, obviously we didn't supply any alcohol. It's a seventeenth birthday. It's not going to happen. But the girls had had come to the party and had all shared a bit bottle of vodka in the in, in the trees in the, um, before they came into the party and that was all admitted and you know that's 17 that mm. I'm, not, I'm not condoning yeah. it but I'm also realistic yeah. enough to know that that's what they do they preload yes. the term actually you preload mm-hmm. um, and they'd done a really good job of that but anyway but what the moral Gosh. of the story was yes. sharing of the phone numbers was just so fabulous and I was so grateful mm. that that had occurred yeah well, that was, you know, it, it made life a lot easier and that the mother didn't have to go and find a child or, you know, be ringing up hospitals in order to find a child. She'd safely and conveniently heard it firsthand from you. And I think today with with modern technology and everybody having phones, there's there's no excuse really for, for, for not just, just spreading the net a little bit wider. Exactly um, right. Exactly yeah. Right. And I know a lot of parents, you know, I'm just putting my cyber mum hat on here for a minute. A lot of parents, and I'll put my hand up and say, I, I, I do a little too, use apps like Find My Friends or Life360 to, I suppose, mm-hmm. monitor their teens when they're first going out. Maybe if, they, if they've just turned yeah. 18 and they're going into the city, uh, I suppose at least you can mm. see where they are, whether they're on the bus, what where, where they're at, and, and it's mm. completely up to each parent how they choose to manage this. Um, in my family, I, I, I like to keep it on until 19 and the kids don't like it, but then, then it goes off and mm. but there has to be a trust and if the trust is in place, well, then I'm happy to turn it off. But if I think the trust isn't there, well, then I, mm. I insist on it being on. That's yes. how it rolls in my yes. family, but every family obviously makes the decisions that are best for them. You do raise a really important point there that this has to be negotiated and each family will be different. I mean, I, I don't use I don't use those tracking um, apps and devices, but 
I ask them to text me when they're at a certain point or if they've gone back to such and such's house where I know that they're going to have a, where they're going to sleep over mm-hmm. or that if I text them at some, you know, hours through the night that they will respond to my text message. And basically, essentially it's the same thing. And that, that's just what the parent will negotiate. That's just what you're privately negotiating with your child. However, it, however it works for your own family and looks good in your family. So I think that's a perfect arrangement. Yes, yes, they don't think so, Sarah, but that's tough luck, I say. That's tough luck. It's my job to look after you boys. I'm your safety net, so yeah. too bad. So too bad. Yeah. So uh, so no, all good. Oh, Sarah, it's such an interesting time in your life. I remember when I look back to life after the HSC, I don't think I've ever felt freer in my whole entire life. Mm. Do, you, do you remember having that sense of freedom? I, I do. I do. I remember when I did my final HSC, I was actually, I actually found it a bit anticlimactic, to be honest with you. I sort of thought I finally come to the end of it. It felt like, like I climbed Mount Everest, but there was nobody there. I just caught the train home just as usual. There was no fireworks. <laughs> oh, well, I wore my uniform for the last time. That was pretty cool. But, you know, I mean, sometimes it can be quite a come down, actually, especially as you were mentioning at the early, at the beginning of our talk, especially if you've got some of the subjects that are, that are examined at the very end and everyone's already finished a week or two beforehand, that can be a real struggle and to, and to maintain your stamina, um, all the way through to the end. And that, that would be another thing too, is I would probably encourage, um, where parents can encourage their children to take a break if they need to from their study, have a proper day or two off in the studio period or whatever it is so that you can just regather your energy and start over and, you know, and, and to try and stop the study becoming so stale and monotonous. Yeah, absolutely. I remember dragging my kids in the car and going for drives and just getting, getting them out because they just, they, 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 you can't, you cannot study eight or 10 hours a day. I think if you get, honestly, I think if you get four or five, six hours a day, dad, well, that's gold medal standard, in my opinion, yes, you know, yes. keep it real, I think. But you can fall into a funk afterwards, sort of mentally preparing for that and having, and having a few little, um, a few little goals and a few little, um, I mean, Christmas is coming up, which is, you know, celebration for most people. Um, I, I think exercise is just something so important, especially for mental health. Just tr- trying to stay physically active as much as possible is also really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So, put, so really, so I suppose spending a little bit of time sitting down with your child, maybe putting a bit of a plan in place, getting some goals, working out how they're going to fill the time, and just and as you said before, maybe if, if you're the sort of parent that sort of thinks that now's the time to take your foot off the off the accelerator, and we're not suggesting you need to ramp it up and be a tiger parent, but but they may need a little bit more than than. Uh, uh, other children that have gone through this because they've had this terrible year of uncertainty. There's still a lot of uncertainty ahead. They might just need a little bit more. What's the word I'm looking for? Support. Absolutely. Totally. A little bit more support than normal because it's been such a tricky time. Mm. Yes. Yep. Keeping the communication lines open. And when it, when your teenager is ready to talk to you, then that's the time you have to be ready to talk to them. (laughs) Exactly. Very good. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Thank you. The opportunity to workshop this with you because it's a really important one because there's all this huge build-up to the HSC and then often we don't have enough time to think about what the hell is it going to look like afterwards. So, uh, so all good. I remember when I um, I yes. had my first baby and and just the effort I put into the birth and 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 the nighties in the hospital. Even my my mother and my grandmother spent days trying to source the right lace to go in the nighties for the hospital. I mean, how ridiculous! I didn't even spend any any time or energy thinking what was they going to do. 
actually after I had the baby. And that's what can happen in these scenarios. You spend so much time on the actual event, yes. you don't think about what's going to happen afterwards. So definitely good to have some stuff booked in. Definitely good to have some things booked in for after the event. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yes. Well, thank you, Sarah. Mm. Now, Sarah, tell everyone where okay. they can find you. Oh, thank you very much. So basically the best place to find me, especially in terms of my writing, would be at my at my Instagram page and the handle is underscore parenting tips underscore and um, you'll see that I'm very active there and then my next article for Sydney Observer will be out in December, the very beginning of December and you can find that on the Sydney Observer um website their homepage, and it'll be shared widely through socials and you can also pick up your your physical copy in the shops on sydney's north shore excellent 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 well thank you sarah yes. and let's stay in touch so appreciate your time wonderful thank you very much thanks so much for listening to this episode of the grown-up girls report you can follow us on instagram Twitter and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. And while you're there, why not rate and review this podcast? I'd really love your feedback. Join me next time for another conversation for the grown-up girl. Thank you for listening. Speak soon. Speak soon.